Uh, I was told in the other places that I've been not to wear, so I have a lot of what I would call soccer shirts, you would call football kit, I believe. <laughs> Is that correct? Is that close? Oh, that's the rest, okay. <laughs> I don't think we wanted to see that today. <laughs> so, uh, I was told in the other places not to, I have a whole collection of them from all over the world, but I was told don't wear any of them, you're going to cause too many fights. <clears throat> so, I've been holding on to this, what I would say, jersey for three weeks to be able to wear it, and I hope everybody's happy, all right? So, yeah. So, um... Yeah, I just want to say a great big thank you to, uh, to everybody, to, to Alan and the whole crew here at the Bay for having us and hosting us, um, for all the As One folks who have just treated us so well. We had a, my wife got to speak on Thursday night and all kinds of cool things happened and people were getting touched and we got to do some stuff yesterday, which was amazing. And special thanks to our dear friends, the Barnsleys, who have taken incredible care of us, just seemed to... Oh, it's amazing, everything they've done for us, so we're super, super grateful, and they're going to come visit us in a month or so, so that's going to be amazing. We can't wait to see that. So um, it, it's interesting. Um, uh, we didn't really know this, um, but some, somebody helped set this thing up, okay? So some guy down in London helped set this up. We've been here for three weeks, okay? And um, this guy had this idea about bringing us over uh, to England, and I said, well, we could do that and maybe connect with some different places. I mentioned some places where we knew some people. And, um, and next thing I know, this guy just ran with it, and I would get these emails, and he would have a whole schedule. Will, will this work? I'm like, yes, and that, send. And, you know, can we work out these travel plans? Sure, send. Like, I didn't do anything, and this all happened. But what's interesting, um, the three places that he set up for us to go. The first was London, about a week there. Then we went over to Bristol. We spent about a week there. And then we came up to Newcastle, which I'm sure I mispronounced. And um, so these three places. Well, when I was in Bristol, what we learned, um, you guys know John and Charles Wesley? Yeah. yeah. So they're the founders of, of the Methodist Church. And, um, you know, I, I'm not like a, I, I'm not a Methodist. I, 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 don't, I don't know tons about, about Methodists here. I know a little bit about Methodists back home. Um, but uh, we started doing a little, a, a little, we went to some museums, and you guys know what the new room is? It's this place where, where Wesley started down in Bristol, right? And um, somebody kept saying uh, the Wesley Triangle, the Wesley Triangle, and I'm like, I don't know what the Wesley Triangle is. Well, it turns out that Wesley's ministry in England was based in Bristol, the other part of the triangle was London, and the northern part of the triangle was Newcastle. And these were the, the cornerstones, these were the hubs that he based all of his ministry out of. And I'm like, okay, God, what are you up to? This is interesting. And as I would study a little bit more, this isn't my sermon, by the way, so just don't look at the watch, okay? This is, the, this is just the warm-ups. So um, as, uh, as I was, you know, we went to this museum, we're learning about these guys, John and Charles. Um, these guys were profound um, radical yeah. revivalists yeah. for Jesus. Yeah. I mean, they, they were crazy. Yeah. And, and some of the stuff they did, so, so they were preaching everywhere. You know what they got in trouble for? They got in trouble for preaching the gospel outside the walls of the church. <laughs> because back in that day, this was the only place to preach and had to be somebody, you know, collar and all professional and all that. But they were going outside with who? Normal people. 
miners and, and laborers and workers and uh, you know in, in the inner cities where there was all kinds of people and all kinds of issues and these guys were just going out after it and preaching the gospel to everybody everywhere and getting in trouble they they the new room has no windows on the ground floor because people kept chasing them and if they found out one of the Wesleys was in there they might have crashed through the window so the windows were up high so that people couldn't see who was actually in the room for a riot to, to prevent a riot from breaking out so um, stuff like that uh, they were ahead of their time on on social issues um, so John Wesley was preaching against slavery at least 70 years I think I'm hitting this at least 70 years before Wilberforce got his thing before Parliament to, 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 to abolish slavery, which is amazing, you know? They were, they were helping the poor and needy. They were, they were getting medicine to folks who were sick, like way before their time. They were promoting women in church ministry and leadership. So all this stuff going on, I'm, I'm like, these guys were, this is amazing, this was amazing. And, and what you might not know, so I, I had this in my notes, because this is one of my, I, do a, I teach classes at our school. Did you know I teach at a school? That's what I do. So um, I teach these classes. And um, I don't know if you know this part of the, because again, when I think Methodist, back where I'm from, I think of something very different than what I'm about to read you, okay? But this is what the Wesley's ministry looked like in their day, all right? So here goes. Uh, there were, of course, many factors of Wesley's ministry and message that caused both excitement and anxiety. No small aspect of the controversy included the seemingly routine scene. Did you hear that? Routine scene of people weeping, violently shaking, crying out, losing consciousness, falling down, and occasionally becoming uncontrollably agitated during his meetings. <laughs> Manifest, manifestations were often dismissed by detractors as enthusiasm. Do you know what that means? That means emotion. That means some pastor worked you up into a frenzy and you lost control of your emotions. Has anybody ever heard that accused of people today? That it's all emotionalism and sensationalism and it's not real and it's not genuine? In one journal entry, Wesley seems to apply that those who were offended at the manifestations were weak. His words, not mine. In describing one of his meetings, he writes, Some sunk down and there remained no strength in them. Others exceedingly trembled and quaked. Some were torn with a kind of convulsive motion in every part of their bodies. I immediately prayed that God would not suffer those who were weak to be offended. You could write that today. You could write that today. In response to a letter, somebody wrote a letter against him, a letter against fanaticism. Wesley wrote in 1771, the very thing which Mr. Somebody calls fanaticism is no other than heartfelt religion. In other words, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. These must be felt or they have no being. All therefore who condemn inward feelings in the gross leave no place either for joy, peace, or love in religion, and consequently reduce it to a dry, dead carcass. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 1771. Those are the same, the issue. Do you feel like history repeats itself at all? You know? And so um, you know, we came up here to the north, to the northeast, and our good friends took us. We took, went on a little tour, and we got to see uh, Lindisfarne. 
I don't know if I pronounced that right, but Holy Island, that's easier for me to say. And, um, you know, I look at the heritage of those guys, the Aiden and Cuthbert and these guys, and you know what they started off doing? Preaching the gospel to everybody, everywhere they could go, miracles, signs, and wonders all over the place. People getting healed, crazy things happening. And so, you know, this is, this is just me just kind of thinking about it. It seems that many, maybe not all, but many of the great moves of God start off just like that. They start off just like that. With, with, with these radical, powerful people who are, who are 100% in for Jesus, and they're telling, sharing the gospel with everybody, and what's accompanying, what's, what's authenticating the gospel is miracle signs and wonders. But then somehow, as things roll on, the church kind of gets whatever, and we start to forget about that. But then God raises up someplace else, and it starts all over. Has anybody noticed this pattern? Like I see, maybe it's not always, but I see it over and over. There was a, uh, (laughs) that's my brain thinking and my body reacting to me thinking. Um, There was a a, a revival in China, and I won't pronounce it right, Shangtung, something like that. And uh, with Baptist missionaries. So I don't know about, again, here, but the, these Baptist missionaries, the things I just talked to you about, they, they're not, that's not what they do, okay? They preach the gospel, get people saved, baptize them in water. That's what they do. And, um, and during this, this revival in China, guess what happened? With Baptist missionaries. All the stuff we just read about. All over the place. But when they came back to their churches in the United States, they couldn't tell them because they, they would think that was the devil. So all they told them was about how many got saved and how many got baptized. <laughs> but when you go back and you look at the record, it was the same kind of thing. So I, uh, I, I just think that, uh, you know, we got to stick. We got to stick to those things, which are the, the, the essence about preaching the gospel everywhere and making sure that, that it's accompanied with power. That it's not just, and you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying you have to manifest. That's not the point. I'm just saying there has to be, there has to be uh, the word preached clearly, and there also has to be an authentication from the Spirit that this is genuine and it's of God and it's not just a human thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? So basically, um, that is what I want to talk to you about today, ironically. Um, I want to talk to you about two of my greatest passions. One's the Bible, and the other is the Holy Spirit. And so I want to share with you just a few things. Uh, my message is, my point is pretty simple. There's more. There, there's more. Uh, there's more for us in the Bible than I think many of us realize. And there's more for us in the spiritual realms than many of us realize. And, and my plea to you this morning is simply to press in and go for more. Uh, not, sit, not sit back, not hold back, uh, but to press in for the more that God has for you. So um, I... Uh, the Bible. Yes, I love the Bible. Let's talk about the Bible a little bit. I'm a Bible teacher, so we may get stuck on this part. It's hard to, hard to tell. But um, I don't know about you, but I can speak for myself, that, that I have run into uh, some times in my life where I struggled reading my Bible. It was a little bit dry. It was a little bit... Hmm. Anybody have that experience? Well, you're doing it more out of duty. An obligation, it's the right thing to do than actually life. Yeah, a couple of us, yeah. It happens, I think it happens to all of us. And um, some of you maybe have struggled your whole life, I don't know, maybe your whole life that's been your experience. Uh, But I want to encourage you this morning because as as I have been reading the Bible more and studying the Bible more and asking God to reveal more in the Bible to me, I'm finding that I keep learning more and more and more. This book is amazing. 
There are so many things inside of this book that we don't realize. It's, it's like God has just sprinkled and, and laced all through the pages of, the, of this book these treasures, these hidden gems for us if we want to go digging and try to find them. If we'll spend some time there. And you don't, you don't have to be an academic. You don't have to have read all these big stacks of books because I think the one who reveals these secrets and mysteries is God through the Spirit. And so what we need to be saying is, Holy Spirit, here's my prayer, okay? When I, when I read, Holy Spirit, I don't get it. I don't get it. So I need you to give me downloads, to give me revelation, to give me insight in, in order for me to understand what you're really saying here. I, I can read this like a book on my shelf, but this is more than just a book on my shelf. This is your word. And you have things that you want to say to me. So Holy Spirit, open up this mind to what you're saying. Show me the things. Show me how these passages connect to other passages and how I'm supposed to tie all of these things together. And so uh, I thought this morning, you know, that maybe I could, I could share a few things that I've been learning. You guys probably already know it because I'm a little slow on some of this. But um, I'm going to share just a few things that God's been showing to me through Scripture and just to kind of whet your appetite that there's more that God has for you if we just take that time to dive in. Is that okay? Yeah. So, um... Let's see, what should we do? Let's do this one. I got a few here we'll just play around with. Um, the Bible, the big story, the big picture. Let's go back to the Old Testament, okay? Old Testament will be over here. We go back to the Old Testament. There was a guy, whoa, let's not go that far though. Um, <laughs> Old Testament just is here. <laughs> New Testament's gonna be here. And <laughs> so there's this guy in the Old Testament whose name is Jacob. You guys have heard of this guy, right? Yeah. He changed his name to Israel. Yay. And Jacob has a son. His name, he has a bunch of sons, but one of his sons in particular is named Joseph. And Joseph um, has a lot on his life. There's a lot of favor on his life. There's no doubt about it. You may remember he had some dreams, and he makes this massive mistake of telling his brother his dreams, um, and that's what gets him in all kinds of trouble. Do you guys remember these things? And, um, you know, just aside, you know, if God, you have, many of you have tons of favor on your life, and God may give you dreams, like, don't go tell your brothers that they're going to be bowing down to you, okay? Just keep that to yourself. That's just, that's just one lesson from the Bible I've learned. And um, so anyway, Joseph has dreams, and where do these dreams land Joseph? They land him as a slave in Egypt. Yeah, that's what happens. That's how this plays out. Um, we go to the New Testament. I don't know if you know this, but there was a guy named Joseph in the New Testament. Do you guys remember early on, like the very first or second chapter of the Gospels, there was a guy named Joseph. And this guy, Joseph, do you know what his dad's name was? Jacob. Look it, look it up in Matthew. So Jacob has a son named Joseph. And this Joseph has some dreams. <laughs> That's how God spoke to him, dreams in the night. And because of those dreams, where does Joseph in the New Testament find himself? Oh yeah, he finds himself in Egypt. Well, this is really intriguing to me. Like, How come we're seeing the same thing thousands of years apart on two different levels? So um, in Egypt with the Israelites, when Moses is born. You remember that, that Pharaoh wasn't really happy because these Hebrews, they just kept multiplying, just multiplying like rabbits every time you turn around. And they were getting out of control, and Egypt didn't, the Pharaoh didn't like that. So what does Pharaoh do? He decides to kill all the babies under a certain age 
because he wants to wipe them out. And Moses is the one, you remember, you know, his mom puts him in the thing and floats him, all that stuff. What happened in the New Testament in that little town of Bethlehem when something was happening and a king was supposedly being born and and Herod didn't like that because Herod was a nasty psychopath. And what did he do in Bethlehem? Oh, yeah, he killed all the babies under a certain age. Isn't it interesting? Both the same things are happening, aren't they? And then God refers to Israel, the nation of Israel, as his son. And he actually says, out of Egypt, I called my son. And what does God say in the New Testament about Jesus? He calls Jesus his son. This is my son whom I love. I'm well pleased with him. Listen to him. And he also says, out of Egypt, I called my son. And then when Egypt finally gets out of their their place of, of slavery and bondage, they come to this place that we call the Reed Sea in Hebrew, the Red Sea. In Hebrew, it's the Reed Sea. But anyway, Red Sea, let's say. And um, they come to this sea, and you know they cross, and the Egyptians in their chariots all get swamped by the water. They cross. It's, 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 their, it's their moment of salvation for Israel, isn't it? It's, it's their moment of baptism, if you will, by crossing through the waters. Their enemies and slavery are left behind. They step into this new place, and it's amazing. And immediately, where do they go? They find themselves in the wilderness. Did Jesus have a baptism? He did in the Jordan River. In fact, John the Baptist said, said, whoa, hold the phone. There's no way I'm baptizing you. And Jesus like, no, no, we have to do this so that all things might be fulfilled. Meaning, we're tying into some grander story that you're not even aware of, John. And we're, we're going we're gonna to do this because we need to fulfill these things. And so John baptizes him, there's the dove, and immediately after he gets baptized, where do we find Jesus? In the wilderness. The Spirit immediately leads him into the wilderness. And so Israel, the nation, comes out of their baptism. They go into the wilderness. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. How long was Jesus in the wilderness? Isn't this interesting? Like, does anybody get the feeling like there's more going on maybe than I had noticed before? Okay, well, that's what I'm thinking too. And so um, so for 40 years, um, they're in the wilderness. Uh, Jesus for 40 days in the wilderness. And um, when Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, of course, Satan comes and tempts him. Yeah? And um, it, with each temptation, Jesus responds with Scripture, and it's beautiful. And I'm the Bible teacher, and you're always going to hear me say, and that's respond to the enemy with Scripture. That's good. You should do that. But when you look a little deeper, do you know where the three Scriptures come from that Jesus responded to the devil with when the temptations came? You do know. The Bible. No. <laughs> the book of Deuteronomy. And you say, why is that important? Because God gave the children of Israel the book of Deuteronomy when they were in the wilderness those 40 years. Those were the exact words, the book of the law that he gave to them. And Jesus, following the pattern, the fulfillment that has to happen, only uses the scriptures that Israel had available to them in their 40 years in the wilderness. Isn't that crazy? He could have picked anywhere, but no. It had to come out of Deuteronomy, and that's where God had to, had to speak from. And so... Um, in, in, uh, 
in, in the wilderness with the Israelites, um, you know, Moses goes up onto this mountain and, and he gets the Ten Commandments. And I could tell you, we could talk all about covenant and all kinds of things, but we don't have time to do that right now. And, um, you know, Moses comes down. I mean, some of you maybe have been around the old Charlton Heston with the two tablets. You guys anybody remember those pictures, you, right? And so we all kind of think, you know, one through five here and six through ten over here, that's wrong. And um, <laughs> because, because what, what was he getting? He was getting the covenant, which is, which is bigger and grander than a contract. But if we could think of it in terms of a contract, if you make a contract with somebody, you guys, you each sign the contract, and then you take a copy, and I take a copy. There's two copies. And then, back in ancient times, when you would sign this covenant, when you would agree to this covenant, what you would do is you would take that copy of the covenant, and you'd put it in the temple of your God. Guess what? God is God. <laughs> and, he's, and so he says, you know what, Moses? How about we do this? I'm going to give you both copies because there's no problem with me keeping my end of the bargain. It's y'all that are going to have to worry about keeping you. You take both copies, put them in the Ark of the Covenant, which will be kept in the tabernacle, which is the temple of God on earth. Yeah. This tablet had the Ten Commandments. This tablet had the Ten Commandments. And so we go to the New Testament and, and we find Jesus and he preaches all over the place, you know, he's constantly doing things, but there is one sermon that he gives where the, where the gospel writers tell us where the, where the sermon was. I mean, specifically, they name it, the sermon on the, oh, on the mount. <laughs> and what does he talk about? He says things like, you have heard it said, do not commit murder. What's that? That's one of the Ten Commandments. But I say to you, don't even be angry. He says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even have it in your heart. Don't even look with your eye. So Jesus, on the mountain, reinterprets the very law that God had given Israel on the mountain so long ago. And honestly, some of them are even harder, aren't they? I don't know about you, but I'm doing pretty good with the don't murder thing. Doing, feeling good about that. You guys, hey, hey, no judgment here, okay? Grace. <laughs> but I haven't killed anybody yet. I'm planning on sticking to that one. Um, but that do not be angry with anybody. Ooh. That's a little trickier, isn't it? <laughs> I think I broke that one once or twice this week already. So, <laughs> just... <laughs> it's... It, it's tough. It's tricky. It's not easy. Um, so, uh, how many tribes of Israel are there? How many apostles are there? And even when one of them messes up and we got to scratch him off the list, the guys are like, hey, wait a minute. We got to get somebody else. And basically, they roll the dice, like, seven, Matthias, it's you. Awesome. We never hear about that guy, do we? We never hear anything. Now, I'm sure he was amazing. I'm sure he did stuff. We just don't hear about it. But the point was, there had to be 12 because the 12 had to match the 12. And, and, and this is all part, and, and it keeps going. Um, do you know how many Moses, uh, you know how many elders, when Moses was trying to govern the people and, and there was too many, how many elders did, did he come around? 70. And after Jesus sent out the 12, a chapter or two later, how many does he send out? Something's going on here. Something's going on here. And, um, you know, when, when the Israelites were in Egypt and they were about to leave and they had to put, they had to put the blood on the doorposts, right? Right? Because they had, each, each family had to sacrifice a Passover lamb. 
right? And they had to eat the whole thing, ready to go, bags, and that was the night God was going to deliver them. Of all the celebrations, of all the festivals of Israel that Jesus could have chosen to say, tonight's the night we're going to do it. You know what the one he chose? Passover. He could have chosen the Day of Atonement. He could have chose, you know, some of the other festivals, the High Holy Days for the Israelites, but he chose the Day of Atonement because he's saying, I am the new lamb. In fact, John in the Revelation depicts him as a lamb looking as if he was slain because he is the lamb of the God, he, the lamb of God. He is the lamb who takes the, the way the sin of the world. Are you guys seeing this? And just one more, just for fun, just to tie this in. Um, you know, we all see in our pictures when they took the blood, they had to take that branch, right, and dip it in the blood. And it says, put it on your doorpost. And so in all of our children's storybooks, we see a door frame, right? Rectangular, you've seen it with me, right? And you're like splashing blood here and splashing blood here. And, and so on the doorpost is what you're seeing is blood. But I had a Messianic Jewish guy tell me, he goes, you know what, Rich, that's not right. And I'm like, well, do tell. What is right? <laughs> He said, in the Hebrew, it actually says you're supposed to strike the lentil once. Now, the lentil is that piece that goes across the top of the door. And he said, you're supposed to strike it once, which would mean you would hit it at the top, and all the blood would come trickling right down the middle of the door. And then it says, you're supposed to strike the mezuzot once. Now, you all know what that means. And um, so... I don't know if you guys have a Jewish population here. Back in New York City, we had a Jewish population. In fact, New York City is like the largest city outside of Israel for, anyway. A mezuzah on the side of your, of your doors, you're going right, right about this high, there's this little thing with a Jewish letter. Sometimes they put a little scroll in there, and the singular of it is a mezuzah. And there's only one. It's on the right-hand side as you're facing the, the door. But the Bible says, strike the mezuzot, which is plural, once. And if there would be another one, it would be on the other side of the door, even though there isn't one. Strike the lentil once. Strike the mezuzot once. There was a cross of blood on the doors of the Israelites <laughs> before they left Egypt because it was the cross of blood from their Passover lamb that saved them from death and destruction and walked them through the waters of baptism to lead them into their new lives. Is this not crazy? The Bible's got cool stuff in it, doesn't it? And it, there's more to this story. I don't, I don't know if I want to take all morning. Oh, no, I don't want to take any more time this morning. Um, there's all kinds of good stuff. Yay, yay, good Jesus. So... Um, <laughs> But it does, it does help us to see that there's a bigger story, isn't it? And it does help us to see that, that God has invited you and me into the story. You see, uh, Paul, the, one of the most frequent phrases Paul uses to describe this, this experience of, of what we're in is, is he uses this little phrase that goes, we are in Christ. We're in Christ. And I guess what, what I'm seeing is is if Jesus is the fulfillment of all that stuff. And I now am participating because I'm in him. I'm in Christ. I'm a part of his life and everything that he is. In fact, I'm so in Christ that Jesus, that God says to me, everything that Jesus gets, I get. And everything that Jesus paid for, I get free. And all the pain and suffering that Jesus, I don't have to do that because Jesus already took care of it. And the wrath of God was already poured out, so I don't have to have it. 
So I get to participate in this incredible story of, of redemption, of reconciliation, of re- restoration. Why? Because of what Jesus did for me. And so I, I see myself as a part of this grand story that's being told for thousands and thousands of years. And God's saying, do you want in? Would you like to be a part? Would you like to be part of this incredible redemption story? Because you can. You can be a part of it. All you have to do is step into Christ and step into what he is doing in the way of restoration and reconciliation and redemption all over the planet. This is an amazing thing that we get to be a part of if we will just step in and say, yeah, God, I want to be a part of that. I want to be in. Let, let me just share a couple more. I'm sorry I'm taking so long here. But, um, you know, in, in Mark chapter 6, uh, Jesus goes and he feeds the how many? 5,000. Mark chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000. And that's great, and we're all, you know, interesting. And then at the end of that story, the Bible specifically tells us there are 12 baskets left over. Now, that, now that's odd for me. When I, when, I, when I, sometimes I read these things and I'm like, why are you telling me that? Why are you telling me that you had a huge party last night and all these people came and guess how many leftovers we had? Like, who does that? Nobody announces, now you might with your family, guess what, we got leftovers, but you're not going to announce to the whole world, I had a big party and and I had leftovers. But that's a big part of the story. And Jesus tells this story in a very Jewish area with lots of Jewish people. Just a chapter or two later, Mark chapter 8, Jesus goes and he feeds the 4,000, but this time he's on the other side of the sea, lake, it's a lake, other side of the lake in a predominantly non-Jewish area. And he feeds the 4,000. How many baskets do they pick up? Seven. Sorry, I don't know which way to do my fingers, but you know. Seven. Seven. And uh, <laughs> no cultural mistakes on my part. Do you know what the number 12 often represents in the Bible? It often represents Israel. 12 tribes, 12 apostles. Do you know what this number seven, not always, but sometimes represents? Sometimes it represents the nations. Why? Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1, God says to the Israelites, when you go to the promised land, you'll have to, you'll have to defeat and destroy seven nations in order for you to take the land. And so seven becomes the number of the, the Gentiles, 12 becomes the number of Israel. What is God saying? God is saying that there is more than enough for Israel. And he's saying there is more than enough for all of the Gentiles. He's saying there is no lack. There is no shortage in him. There is plenty. And you can go, I'm not going to read it right now, but you can go to Mark 8, verses 17 to 21, because the disciples are so confused. And Jesus even asks them, hey, guys, when I fed the 5,000, how many baskets? He points to it. When I fed the 4,000, how many baskets? And he goes, do you get it yet? And I feel like on some of these things, that's what God is saying is he's asking us, do you guys get it yet? Do you get it? Do you see that you're a part of something bigger? Do you see the things that I'm, that I'm trying to say, say to you and share with you? Oh, this is a fun one. We've got to do this one. So, um, so on the cross, right? Some of the last words of Jesus. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You guys remember that? Yeah. And, and many of us have taught, and again, I'm, I'm not here to judge anybody because guess what? I did it too, okay? I've taught it. We would say things like, 
uh, you know, all the sin of the world was on Jesus, which it was, and um, God was so repulsed, and he just couldn't handle the sin that he just, because it turns dark, the sky turns dark, right? So God turned his face away because he couldn't handle all of that sin, and Jesus was, and Jesus was like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Has anybody ever heard it told like that? And you don't have to raise your hand if you've taught it, but I have. And, um, but then let's, let's think about this, like from some other examples, like Job, God sits there in his throne, throne room with, in, in the beginning of Job, and who comes walking in? Oh, yes, yeah, Satan. And does God get all freaked out? Whoa, Satan, evil, get away from me. What are you? God's like, what's up, dude? He seriously, he's like, what you been doing? You know, roaming the earth, causing trouble. Oh, okay. You seen, you seen, you seen Job? Took it. Righteousness right there. And they go into this whole thing. Did anything about the, the personification and the epitome of evil in the very throne room of God, did any of that bother God? No. Nothing. And, and then we got this guy, Jesus. Who, who did he hang out with most of the time? Oh, yeah, sinners. Did any of that bother him? Was he repulsed? Did he like, oh, my goodness, you, oh, I can't even look at you. You guys, ugh. Those are the people he hung out with the most. And you know why they liked hanging out with him? Because he didn't do that stuff. Yeah. That's why they liked it. Yeah. Because the religious people were the ones that were like, eh, don't get too close, you know. So now I got myself asking, why in the world did, why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does that really mean? And I would like to suggest to you that, um, like if I were, this isn't going to happen, don't worry. If anybody's singing, it'll be Dan, not Rich. But um, if I were to sing the first words of a song, that's very popular, maybe one of your, your national songs or something like that, if I were to sing the first line, you would, in your mind, if I, even if I stopped, what would you do? You would probably be able to sing the rest of the song, right? You would just kind of go, why? Because we have it memorized. We've heard it so many times. Well, the Jewish people were a group of folks who memorized vast portions of their Bible. Vast portions. Some people say some of them memorized the entire Old Testament. I don't know how that's possible. They did it. I wonder what Psalm 22 says. So let's go there and take a look. Maybe I'll just turn my Bible. You guys could just look. That'd be great. Just watch, watch me turn there. It'd be spectacular. Um, Psalm 22, verse 1, says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that's coincidence. Maybe nothing else is going on. But then I skip down to verse 7, and it says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. What were the people on the ground saying as Jesus hung up there on the cross? That's what they were saying. Those words. And I skip, <clears throat> skip down to verse 14. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothing among them and cast lots for my garments. Friends, do you realize 
that when Jesus said, my God, my God, why do you forsake me? That if a Jewish person had ears to hear and if they recognized that was the beginning of Psalm 22 and if they began to recite that Psalm in their mind like they had done so many other times that they would actually be seeing before their very eyes something David had written about a thousand years before and Jesus would be saying, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. Do you believe yet? He literally was prophesying from the cross in agony, in pain, and saying, if anybody has ears to hear, if anybody has eyes to see, I'm the fulfillment of everything that you have been waiting for, even though I'm hanging here abandoned by all of you. Unbelievable, unbelievable. The, the, look, you're not looking, I'll tell you. At the very end of Psalm 22, here's the words. He has done it. What were the last words of Jesus? It is finished remarkably the same isn't it remarkably the same so i'm just saying <laughs> there, there there is stuff there's stuff for us to find there's stuff all over the bible that god god is drawing us in he wants us to understand more he wants us to understand his heart he wants us to understand his character he wants us to understand his love for people he wants us to understand what's available to us in christ if we will find those things here but i've got to move on to the second half of my sermon and i only have five minutes to do that the second half of my sermon is about there's more in terms of the realms of the spirit so jesus says in john 14 12 he says this, he goes, um, they will do all the works that I've been doing and they will even do greater things. Now that bothers me, to be honest, okay? For, you know, I'm looking at Jesus and he's the son of God and he's doing like every miracle imaginable and, and you're gonna tell me I can do more than that. That does, ooh, I'm not sure that that jives with me. But it's exactly what he said. It's exactly what he said. And so when we go to the book of Acts, do we find any of the apostles or the disciples, do we find them doing greater things? I'd like to suggest we sure do. So for example, in Acts chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, when, when Peter would be walking down the streets of Jerusalem, people would run into their homes and get the people who were sick and blind and deaf and lame, and they would bring them just outside the door. Why? So that Peter's shadow could go past. Do we have any record of Jesus' shadow healing people? Not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of. I'm not saying it couldn't. I'm just saying greater things. Greater things. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, 39 to 40, uh, Philip has this crazy encounter with this eunuch, chariot, water, baptism. But what happens when Philip comes out of the waters of baptism? He gone. Could you imagine being that eunuch? Okay, my mind was just blown by what you explained to me. I've just had this profound encounter with the living God, and you just disappeared. Wow. Again, as far as I know, Jesus may have transported. I don't know the whole story, but I can't find a whole lot of references where Jesus transported. There may be one or two that I'm thinking of, but probably not. Um, Acts chapter 19, Paul, even so much as a handkerchief or a small piece of clothing that had touched him, they would take that and go to their homes where somebody was sick and that thing had enough of the anointing on it that it would heal people. Notice you didn't pay for that. It was free. That's a different point. Three different people, uh, Peter, Philip, Paul, all doing things that we don't find in the Gospels. And so Jesus is inviting us into what, what more? 
He's inviting us into more. I guess we should be scratching the back of our head saying, well, what other mores are possible? What are the other things that are possible for you and I as believers in Christ Jesus because the Spirit of God is inside of us? What, what is possible? I think our thinking is way too small. I know mine is. It is way too small. And we've, we've got to start getting outside of these boxes and say, okay, what, what, what else can you do, Jesus? <laughs> what, what, what other amazing things do I get to be a part of because I'm in Christ? Because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow, let's explore this, Jesus. Let's find out what we can do. And so all, all over the world, we're seeing the Holy Spirit break out in ways that are, that are just profound. Uh, some dear friends of ours, uh, Steve and Ruth Moore, I think they've been up here maybe, or they've been around. You guys might know them. Um, young couple, and um, they went to a church in Memphis. It was a good-sized church, and um, this church had always been very pastor-focused, so he was, he was the man of the hour, the man of power, and miracles happened, but it was only through him. But they came with this message of, it's for everybody. And on one Sunday, they saw 2,000 miracles in one church. 2,000 miracles. Why? Because they got the revelation that it's not just for one person, it's for everybody. It's an all-play thing. And they all dove in. They were already equipped. They just didn't have that next step. And they stepped into that and said, wow. And And it wasn't because our friend Steve and Ruth prayed for everybody. It was because they prayed for everybody. They had faith and they believed and amazing things happened. Um, just a few more. We'll kind of pull this together here. Uh, you know, Heidi Baker, you guys heard of Heidi Baker? She's amazing missionary, Mozambique. Um, I'm told right now that when she prays for deaf ears, deaf ears in Africa, she has a 100% success rate. Okay, there's more. That's, anybody else in the room have a 100% success rate with your healing ministry? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, me neither. So I got some room for growth on this one. But could you imagine her walking into a village and just saying, anybody deaf here? And three, four, five, ten people come. Pray, pray, pray in Jesus' name. All of them healed. Wouldn't you want to know that, God? Wouldn't you want to say, okay, that's real. That's genuine. And, and, and then there's this other thing. You know, Jesus said, he said, uh, you know, proclaim the gospel, proclaim the good news, um, you know, heal the sick, you know, cast out demons. And what was that one at the end he always threw on there? Oh, yeah, raise the dead. And I'll be honest, you know, when I was growing up, I, I was kind of like, were you serious about that, or were you just kind of joking? Because that's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I know Jesus did rise from the dead. I believe that with all my heart. And I know Paul with the, the girl. I, like, but that's a biggie. And in my world, I never dreamed that that would be possible. I have not personally seen it, but we're hearing stories of, in, in Mozambique again. Somewhere between 75 and 100 people have been raised from the dead. In Mexico, dozens of people being raised from the dead. Now you're going to say, oh, we want the medical proof. Guess what? Even if we gave the medical proof to every single person, you're either going to believe or not believe. It depends on where your heart's at. I give, we can give you x-rays, doctor's reports, all over. But if you don't want to believe, you're not going to believe. Amazing. 75 to 100 people raised, and, and I love this quote because one of the p- guys, he was a pastor, he died, and the, the most, the most uh, what's the word I want to say, um, understated, uh, I'm not saying it right, it'll come to me, a little tired, been a week, and, um, but he says, my life has really changed since I was raised from the dead. I'm like, I bet it has, buddy, I bet it has. So, um, and what about, what about the man in white? Have you guys heard about the man in white? So we keep hearing about Muslim countries, that, that honestly, it's a little bit tricky for us as Christians to get in there. Now, there are Christians getting in there, but it's tricky. And, um, but we keep hearing 
about this man in white who shows up in people, Muslim people's dreams, who shows up in the physical, in their homes, and what does he say? Follow me. <laughs> Why? Because he's Jesus. Because he's Jesus and because he loves people, he is going to some of the darkest, hardest, most difficult places and says, I'll, I'll take care of this one. And all over the Muslim world, you're not going to hear this on the news, but all over the Muslim world, people are turning to Jesus. Why? Because he's real. Because he's alive. Because he heals. There is no healing in Islam. There's service and submission. There's no healing. But in Jesus, there is life and there is healing. And so we are going to find out, the reports will come out about the thousands, the tens of thousands, the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Muslim people today who are being saved because Jesus loves people and he wants them to be a part of the kingdom. And so this stuff is happening. Uh, one more example, we're you know, in the realm of the prophetic. I know you guys love the prophetic and I'm trying just to encourage you to keep pressing into this because um, we are seeing the prophetic break into realms that I never, I never dreamed. I thought the prophetic was for the church. I thought we were just supposed to get in here and say nice things to each other. But, but now we have these prophetic people who are getting into government. Speaking into government, to government leaders, getting ideas. We have prophetic people who are getting ideas, and you've heard of these things, ideas, inventions for business, uh, medicine, breakthroughs. We have law enforcement coming to prophetic people. Now, sometimes we see them going psychic, which is the other side of the coin here. We're trying to say, no, 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 come to the prophetic people, and we're watching it as they're actually trying to tap into believers, Christians, who have prophetic gifting because we've got, they got crimes and they got problems. They got things that need solved, and they don't have an answer. And so I just say these things to you to say, um, there is so much more for us to be going after. <laughs> There, there, there are more realms, there are more areas, and we, we've got to expand our minds and say, Jesus, what, what, what might you have me be a part of, okay? What, what are those uh, giftings, anointings that you've put inside of me? How can I press in to these things? And, and what do you want me going after, Jesus? Because we can't just sit back. We can't just sit back. And I know, God bless the English and the Brits, I, I love you all. I know you're, you're a bit of a reserved crew, yeah? A bit, and that's okay. I am too. I am too. But I'm just saying, we've got to get out of that thing, and we've got to start taking some steps into the thing that God has for us. Yeah. We've got to start leaning in. We've got to start pressing in. God, what do you have for us? So just, just to tie this whole thing together, back to my story of Israel, you know, um, Israel, they come out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, which is their baptism, and they are saved. And you know what? There are, there are a lot of Christians who get saved and stop. Yeah. They get saved. They're in the wilderness, on the other side of the Red Sea, yay for life. Was that God's plan for, is for Israel to stop after crossing the Red Sea? No. In fact, it should have only taken about three weeks <laughs> to get from Egypt to the Promised Land. That's another story. But they come to the Jordan River, Right? And in a sense, the Jordan, this, this second baptism, is almost like spirit baptism. And it's almost like they cross, the, like for us, our Jordan is our, is our spirit baptism. And so we get the Holy Spirit, and yay, we speak in tongues, and yay, the prophetic is flowing. And some of us stop. We stop. Because we think that's it. We think that's all that God has for us. But friends, God's plan was never to just get them out of Egypt. 
It was not for them to hang out in the wilderness year after year after year. It wasn't just for them to cross the Jordan. God's plan was for Israel to take the land, to take the promised land. And guess what? This story has now been broadened because in Christ, the promised land is the world. Our promised land is the whole world. This area here, this is your promised land. This is the land that you're supposed to be taking in Jesus' name through the power of the Spirit, and you're supposed to be asking God through the Word and through the Spirit, how do we do this, Jesus? Give me revelation from your Word so I can see how to do this. Show me from the Spirit how I can do this. And if you get those two out of balance, you get, see, if we're all Word people, we kind of get cemetery-like, okay? And we don't want that. But if we're all Spirit, it gets real wacky. We call that squirrely church, okay? We, it gets weird. <laughs> Spooky church. So um, I'm saying to you, if we have both, yeah. if we have the word that God's guiding us and leading, and we're pressing into the spirit with all we've got, I just believe with all my heart that God wants to bring about a transformation uh, of regions, of cities, of nations that is beyond things that we have comprehended, but, and God is basically asking this generation, uh, what are you going to step into? What are you going to believe for? What are you going to press into? Because, you know, each generation faces the same thing, don't we? And if we don't do it, guess what? God's going to look to that next one. But I, I want to be one of those guys that says, in my generation, this is what we did, Jesus. This is what we accomplished. In you. Here's the jewels, the crowns, the gems that we lay down at your feet, Jesus. This is what we were. This is how far we advanced the kingdom in our day, Jesus. We want to lay this at your feet, give you glory and honor. It's because of you and it's for you. That's, is that what you want? Yeah. So why don't we stand up here? I don't know if, do, do, we, do we have a worship team that comes back up or how does that work? Or do we put a CD on or something? I don't know how it works here. Um, oh, look, water. Um, so I was wondering maybe do, do we have a prayer team that could maybe come up to the front here and ministry team yeah. if you guys could just do something quiet in the background for us that would be great and I'm going to invite the, the ministry team to come up and friends um, no I'm getting this out of the way As, the, as these ministry leaders are up front here, um, I, I just want to give you an opportunity to, to press into the Lord, to do something physically, to, to come up and just say, uh, God, I do want to press in for more. And maybe you know the area. Maybe you know what God has been calling to you. Maybe you don't know what it is. Um, but but as, a, as a step of faith, step out and say, I'm going to come forward, Jesus. I, 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 need, I need more of you. I need more of your spirit. I need more insight into your word, Jesus. I need you to give me downloads from heaven to show me what this looks like. And so we're just going to open this up to the front. Whatever God is laying on your heart, these folks are here. They'll be happy to pray for you.